Horse Racing Heroes is proudly sponsored by Horse Racing Ireland. For more great racing stories, sign up to our weekly newsletter on hri.ie. Horse Racing Ireland, for every racing moment. Hello there. Welcome along to Season 2, Episode 9 of Horse Racing Heroes, the racing podcast with no betting tips or news chat, but with every episode simply being about one great horse or person in racing. And this episode is about Dark Emerald, and it's with the man who trained him to a number of big wins, including two out in Dubai, Brendan Powell. Uh, It was a really enjoyable chat with Brendan, uh, who most listeners will know was a Grand National winning jockey before turning his hand to training, which he recently packed in, and he is now assistant trainer to Joseph O'Brien. He is also an excellent storyteller, as you will soon hear. Before we begin, a quick word of thanks to the show sponsors, Horse Racing Ireland. HRI are kindly sponsoring all 10 episodes of season two of this podcast, and I am thrilled to be part of the HRI stable. I've put some links in the show notes so you can check out some of the other great racing content HRI produce, or you could simply search their hashtag every racing moment. That's about enough from me. Let's get listening to Brendan Powell telling us all about Dark Emerald. So Brendan, before we begin talking about Dark Emerald, um, I just, I'd like to get a bit of context on where you were in your training career before he came along? Well, I suppose I started off training mostly jumpers and then um, uh, for, well, for a few years, I always had a few flat horses. And I think then we got, went to the breeze up sales and I had an owner, Ken Rattigan, who'd had a couple of horses with me in a few shares. And he just said, look, try and buy me a nice horse that we could, a two-year-old. And I went off to Kempton sales and I, I think I'm right in saying that when I bought him as a two-year-old, it was the first of the crop of the Dark Angels. And look, he probably wasn't the greatest racehorse in the world, but what a sorry he has turned out to be. So anyway, I met Bobby O'Ryan there and Bobby said, oh, come and have a look at this grey horse I've got here. He said, he's very backward, but he might be in your price range. I think our price range is about 15 grand or something. And um, anyway, I saw him and... I like the look of him, you know, and I just thought, well, if if anything, he's probably going to make a three-year-old rather than anything else, you know. And um, anyway, I watched him breeze, and he didn't breeze very well. But what I liked about him was that when, um, I think it was Michael Hussey was riding him in the breeze up. And at Kempton, they come past the winning post, and then there's a sharp bend where they go left back to the uh, stables. And he sort of went to duck out there and he gave him a smack on the shoulder and he took off of him all the way down the back of Kempton. And it took him about about another four furlongs to pull him up, you know. And I just thought, well, he's okay, he's as green as grass, but I like the way he galloped. Um, so, look, basically that was one of the reasons he was in our price range and we bought him, you know. And then how did he get his name, Dark Emerald, then? We'll just go through that. I don't know. Ken and Carolyn, they sort of love picking names of horses, etc. And... Um, I think they, I don't know, I think Carlin liked jewellery and I think she liked emeralds. And uh, anyway, look, this came, they had one with me before, which he was called No More Shoes. And when Ken bought the horse for her, he said, he said, you have to stop buying all those expensive shoes now. And anyway, he was absolutely useless. Um, and the horse he had before that, um, 
they gave him some weird name I can't even think but look they came up with Dark Emerald and that's basically even though he was a a, a steel grey horse but uh, that's the name they came up with anyway with him Great. So you've des- you've described his, his colour there, but could you tell us what he's like as a physical and also his personality at home then? He was, the one thing about him, he was a very laid back character. And um, he, you know, he was just one of those horses that he would, he would literally just, you could do anything with him. He never showed that he had a lot of speed at home. And he was just... He was just laid back. I mean, when I got him first, I just thought this this is not going to be much until he's a three-year-old. And as I said, he just, you know, everything you'd ask him to do, he'd do it nicely, but wouldn't be very quick in doing it. And I think we had him, we put him about three months before I, before I ran him first time out. And I just said, probably the only way he's going to learn anything is by, um, is, is by actually getting onto a race course. And there was a, I had a girl working for me at the time. She used to come and ride out. Um, she was a good jockey, actually, Kirsty Milzarek. And um, she, she'd been off for about a year and she was riding him out at home. And then when he ran at Goodwood first time out, I just said to Ken, look, can we put Kirsty on her and let her have a ride on him? So Ken was fine about that. So she rode him first time out. And I wasn't expecting anything, really. I think it was five or six runners. Um and he got to the track. He behaved himself well, as he always did. Um, I had taken him for a couple of race course gallops around Newbury beforehand. So he, um, he, we took him there and he was sort of outpaced early, stayed on. I think there was five or six runners and he, he, he ended up finishing a staying on fourth. But, you know, ran a respectable race. And we thought, well, maybe if he gets a mark, as it, you know, he'd probably go and win a nursery for us. Yeah, that's right. It was a respectable debut. That was in May of 2012. The following month in June, he went back to Goodwood for um, another maiden over six furlongs. And he was second that day. And the winner that day was, was, uh, was a decent enough horse, if you remember. Was he, I think it was one of Richard Hannes, wasn't it? That's right. It was Olympic glory. Olympic glory. Yeah. There you go. It is so weird because I was stood outside the weigh room at um, Goodwood and Richard Sr. sort of came over to watch the race on the screen there. And um, I, I'd known Richard for years when he had the odd hurdler here and there. He used to always, you know, let me ride him for him. But he was a good man and he was always very good and helpful to me. And um, he had something else in that race that day, if I can remember it, Goodwood as well. And I think that might have started favourite. Did he have two runners in that race? Um, I don't have him in front of me, but I'm not sure. But I know Olympic Glory was backed because I watched it last night and, and the commentary says this very well-backed Hannon horse, so... Yeah, that's right. And the, I, th- I think the other horse, the other horse was sort of favoured in the paper in the morning. And I remember Richard saying to me, um, as they were going into the start, he said, he said, uh, he said, what you run here? And I just said to him, oh, I said, look, I, I think he's probably a bit slow. He's probably a nursery horse. And he said to me, he said, oh, and I'm sure you said to me, oh, they're, they're making mine favourite here. So, but I think the other lad, he said, he said, the other lad, I think is the best of the two of them. And anyway, Olympic glory won and we, we ran a cracker and basically looked, I'd say the rest was history with, with, um, with Olympic glory. And um, no, look, I was delighted that day. I was delighted the way he ran, you know? Yeah, he must've been. And you, you were, you were happy enough with him to give him a shot in the Coventry in, at Royal Ascot next. Yeah. Well, Ken and Carland, they were, they sort of, they, they used to go every year to, to Royal Ascot and they used to have the marquee in the car park, etc. And they basically just said, look, shall we, um, Shall we? Shall we uh, take him to to ask us? So we ran him in the Coventry, and um, I think George Baker rode him that day. He actually ran a, He ran an absolute blinder, actually. Oh no! I tell you what, actually, tell a lie. I think it was Fran Berry rode him. Yeah, Fran rode him, 
And he stayed on from the back of the field, ran on, and who won it that year? I think it was it was it um, Tim Bulger's. That's right, Don approach, and in Dawn second approach. was in second was Olympic glory. Olympic glory, yeah, yeah. And we stayed on well. Look, we ran a cracker, and we were delighted with him. You know. Yeah, yeah. He must have been. I mean, he was two hundred to one that day, and like you said, he ran a good race in a good field. And then he had a little break before going to Leicester in September, and that's when he gets off the mark. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I had him entered about two weeks before uh, Leicester. I had him. Uh, I had him entered at Warwick. I hadn't declared to run, and I got a phone call from um, from a bloodstock agent saying, uh, "Would the horse be for sale?" And at the time, we obviously didn't think how good he would be. And and I said, well, I'm sure if the owner was getting the right money, he would be. So it was to go to Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. And they said, yeah, but you, you know, we wouldn't want the horse to run at Warwick tomorrow in case he went and won. So I rang Ken and Ken said, well, see what they're offering. So they came back with a figure of 175 grand. So like Ken, Ken was just a sort of an ordinary working man. And he said, look, Brendan, I can't turn that down. And I said, yeah, fine. Anyway, we pulled him out of Warwick and we had him vetted. Now, he was the soundest horse that you'd ever get in the world. But the vets in Hong Kong are so strict, it's unreal. And the vets came out from Newmarket and spent three hours vetting him. And the Hong Kong vets failed him. They said he had a, a thing called a spur on his pelvis, which is just a tiny little mark. So they obviously thought that he must have had an injury before, which he didn't. So anyway, he couldn't run or he couldn't uh, go to Hong Kong. So uh, at the time, Ken was gutted because it was a lot of money to him. And uh, I suppose I was thinking of a bit of commission as well, but <laughs> that's neither here nor there now, is it? So um, anyway, we kept him, we put him in at Leicester. And I remember it was actually a very, very ordinary contest. And I got Jamie Spencer to ride him. And so the Jamie, he hadn't ridden much for me before. So I said to Jamie, I said, look, I said, the one thing about this horse is, I said, he'll hit the gates. I said, he's got the experience. You know, he's been to the Coventry. He's starting favourite. I said, look, just uh, jump him out the gate. Let him bowl along. I said, he'll stay farther than this. I said, go a good gallop. Kick at the two. I said, I don't care how far you win. So Jamie did his usual, jumped out the stalls upside in front, dropped him out the back door. <laughs> and I'm watching it thinking, oh, what the hell's going on? And then two out, he's still probably seven or eight lengths off the pace. And he ended up getting up and winning a short head. And he knocked spots off him to win. So I was delighted the horse won, but I was just thinking, oh, my God, maybe this horse isn't, isn't that good. So he came in. I said to Jamie, I said, I said, well done, that was good. I said, what do you think of him? He said, he said I'd get rid of him. He said, he's useless. So, uh, <laughs> so anyway, that was... That sort of, I got a bit deflated. I thought this is like going to be one of the best two-year-olds I had at the time, you know. Anyway, so so yeah, so that was Jamie's one and only ride on him. <laughs> so that's got to be disappointing. But I didn't realise he that, that happened with the sale that he failed the vet. So I'm, I'm I'm actually I know Hong Kong are known for paying. They offer make big offers for horses. But what did you say? 175 grand for a horse who was still a maid, and that seems a very yeah. good offer. So you yourself and the owner must have been gutted at the time. Yeah, we were, because I suppose, you know, to Ken, you know, Ken said, look, we'll go and buy something better. So, um, you know, you're just thinking, look, I, I, I never trained expensive horses. And I just thought, well, even if you put, you know, for us, 50 or 60 grand into buying one, um, you know, the following year or a yearling, uh, we might get something decent, you know. So, um, 
but look, that's that's the way it was. And then after after Leicester, I was thinking to myself, well, that was a hell of an offer at 175 grand because you know, yeah, he won this bad maiden that no way would he have been worth the money after it. You know what I mean? Yeah, but as it would turn out, um, him failing the vet was one of the best things that happened to you, and Jamie Spencer was wrong as well in his assessment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, too true. Yeah. If he'd have ridden him, be- if he'd have ridden him the way I wanted him to, I think he'd have found out better. <laughs> okay, so after he wins his maiden, he has two more runs that season, and he's a li- maybe they they look a little bit disappointing. Yeah, he was, and I think more than anything, he, he started to grow a bit. You know, he wasn't he wasn't the tallest horse in the world, but he started to fill out, and he got a bit. Um, you know, he he he's, yeah, they they were they were disappointing runs, but anyway, we decided we'd put him away. Um, and I remember sort of saying to Ken, oh, I think we should gel the horse now. I said, because, you know, to go into a three-year-old career as a colt, he's not going to be good enough to go to studs. So we should geld him. But Ken and his wife were against gelding him at the time. So, you know, we kept, we, he, 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 they kept him a full horse into his start his three-year-old career, you know. Mm. Was there any particular reason they, they, they didn't want to geld him at the time? No. I mean, they're, look, they're not really horsey people. And I think. Caroline probably thought it would hurt the horse, you know. <laughs> so, but um, you know, no, they just wanted to keep him. I think Ken probably thought that if he did go on to be a, a decent horse, he, he might become a stallion, which he was never going to be really, or, or even on his pedigree, you know. Yeah, it's nice to have the dream, though. You mentioned he, um, you always thought he'd be a three-year-old, and I guess the signs were good when he came out in his three-year-old reappearance at Yarmouth. He's twelve to one. Kieran Fallon's on board, and he wins and wins quite well. He did. Um, we beat one of Carl Brooks that day, which which went on to be a, a, a you know a, a decent handicapper. And I was very impressed with him that day. Actually, he 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 um, he took him there. He was very fit and very well. And Keon gave him a peach of a ride, um, and he got up on one. And then we just thought, well, and I think at the time he was probably rated in the eighties, I'd say. Um, and then we just thought, well, look, you know, he'll he, he'll go on from here. Um, but he didn't really straight away, you know. He didn't go on from there. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. He has he has eight more runs that season in handicaps. He's trying a mile and a mile two, and he doesn't manage to get his head in front uh, in those. But I do believe Richard Hughes rode him one day at Kempton and had a bit of a suggestion for you. Yeah, Hughes rode him one day at Kempton, and um, he finished second to also Luca Kamani's, if I can remember right, that Fallon rode, and. Um, he he came in after and he said, "Oh, he said I think you should." Um, he said, "I think you should go jumping with this horse." He said, "Because I think he'll he'll stay the trip." So I mentioned that to Ken and Ken was against it, um, and he wasn't very keen on the. On, yeah, Ken wasn't really a jumping man, even though I had a couple of winners jumping for him the year before with a horse, but he he you know he he preferred the flat. Um, I think he just didn't like all racing in the middle of winter. It was too cold for him, Ken. You know, but. Um, I, I said to him one day, I said, well, look, would you mind if I give him a school over hers? Because he lost his form, etc. Because um, he, he'd gone to Goodwood once and George Baker rode him. And George actually came in and said, I think you should have this horse gelded. He said he's starting to think about it. And down at the start, George said he was starting to sweat up and he was starting to get a bit cold towards a couple of fillies in the race, you know. So... They, they they said to me, okay, let's go ahead and geld him, which was probably one of the best things we ever did. And anyway, I started schooling him at home and Brendan, my son, was was popping him away and he was the most natural jumper you've ever seen. And he absolutely loved it. And I thought, well, even if we even if we didn't run him over hurdles, I remember riding a bit, good bit 
for Andrew Bowling when he had a few jumpers and he used to school a lot of the two-year-olds and three-year-olds just basically to keep their minds right. And um, anyway, we, did, we decided to school him and he was that good a jumper. And I said to Ken, look, I said, he seems to have lost his form in the flat, but he could be a triumph hurdle horse. So when sort of Chelton was mentioned, Ken's ears pricked up a little bit. So anyway, we, we ran him at Kempton and Sandown. Unfortunately, it was one of those seasons where the ground was quite testing the whole time. And he jumped like a book. He travelled well. But each time he got to the second last and he walked home and choked. So his, his, he, it was either the fact he wasn't getting the trip or else his wind was, 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 uh, wasn't good enough to go jumping with him, you know? Mm. Were you tempted to try and persist, you know, on better ground and see if you could if you could show a bit better form, or were you happy enough to just leave leave the jumping there after those two runs? We were leaving it after that because we decided to go back on the flat with him then. Um, and as soon as he started to, as soon as he started to run back in the flat again, he actually showed more enthusiasm again for the flat. You know what I mean? Mm. And I think it was probably the best thing that ever happened to him that he had those two runs. Because I think he found the flat, he found the flat job so easy after that, you know. All right, he appreciated a bit more, maybe. I did yeah. notice. I love when I look through these old form lines. On his second run over hurdles, he was beaten by Kentucky Hayden, who was second in Tiger Rose Triumph Hurdle win. So, so he was a good horse. At least he got beaten. By. <laughs> God, yeah. So you mentioned he was gelded um, before his four-year-old season, and that seems to the four-year-old season is when it all really kind of happens for him. Um, Again, he wins on his reappearance, this time at Lingfield over seven and a half furlongs in May. He seems to run well fresh a lot. Was that, was that just a coincidence or do you think there was something to that? Yeah, no, I think you're right. And I think it was something that we probably, we probably sort of found out. And you find these things out by mistake half the time, you know. And it was Richard Kingscott wrote him at Lingfield. And um, he gave him a peach of a ride and he won well that day. Um, and as you said, I'm just trying to think where we ran him after that, where his next races were. But he, 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 um, he started going up the handicap. And I remember thinking at the beginning of that season, I used to sit at home in the middle of winter and watch Maidan on the television. And I remember I used to think to myself, my God, I would just give anything to have a horse to go there. And, but at the time, you had to, you had to have a rating of 100 to go there. And... I don't know. I, I'm just, look. I'd only be guessing now, but he'd have he'd have only still been in the eighties when he after he won at Lingfield, you know. Yeah, he was he was eighty three that day at Lingfield. Was it eighty three? He was right. Yeah, yeah, and, um, yeah. That season, that season in the UK, he he goes from eighty three all the way up to one hundred and three. He wins at Newmarket. Um, he's runner up at Haydock in July to Heavy Metal, who would go on to be a Maidan specialist. That's right. Also, in Newmarket in September, he beats Master of the World, who was a very good horse. So are there any standout moments or stories from that kind of, that summer where he, he, he goes from 83 to 103? Um, I think it was probably one of his last races of that season. Did, did Seb Sanders win around him at, um, he won on him somewhere. Yeah, no, that was Newmarket, yeah. And I remember, I remember he won off about 90-something at Newmarket. And he actually... And it's amazing because we used to make the running with him in those days, over a mile. And he loved to jump off, make the running, and go a good gallop and keep quickening off it. And I remember when Seb won in them, and I just thought to myself, geez, this just might get us to a mark of, of at least 100 so we could get there, you know? And um, anyway, that's when the dream for Maidan started. And then I just start looking up 
how do you enter from Maidan? What would you do? You know, ringing people. And um, so we gave we gave him a break after that then. And then we were accepted for, for Maidan, which was which was like fantastic for us, you know. Yeah. And could you actually tell me a bit about those those details? I'm always interested in how those Maidan trips come about. Is it literally a case of you having to ring up other trainers going here? How do, how do I do this? Well, I did with a couple. I remember even well driving around to Stan Moore, who was one of my neighbours, and Stan had had a few winners years before in Maida, and he said you have to nominate your horse by the, I think it was it was by the end of October time, and then by the second week of November or the first week of November, they would email you and say your horse has been accepted for Maida. So. Anyway, I'm waiting for this to come through to see whether we get we get there or not. And kept thinking, oh, my God, nobody sent me an email yet. We're not going to get there. Next thing, an email came through one day and basically, yeah, you're accepted to go there. Um, and then we just set in, in motion then of, of, uh, of starting to get in fit because, you know, we only had... I'd started to, to, to train him back at that stage, um, in, in hope, but the first meeting was always the first Thursday of January time. I remember looking at form of some horses that went over there and a lot of them seemed to run well straight off the plane. So um, the horses used to fly, they'd fly over there on the Sunday and then the first meeting of the carnival was on the Thursday. So I thought, right, well, we've got to get this lad fit and, you know, just be, we'll, you know, you spend two days in quarantine where you can't gallop them. So you could only have one blowout and run. So, um, and there again, as you said earlier in the interview about him being fresh, you know, he had a, he'd had a, a, a few months off. So, you know, he was going there fresh and well in himself, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And curious about the trap, was, was the travel, was that a big learning experience for you as well? Had you traveled a horse that far before? Because I know it's, the logistics of traveling a horse are pretty significant, like. Yeah, the, the, the one good thing about it is Sheikh Mohammed's, they all fly over on his plane. And basically his, his travel um, company, they basically do everything for you. And they'll tell you when you're going, you know, what you have to bring, the whole lot. So we sent over two crates and I had a lad with me at the time called Tom Cox. And he didn't even have a passport and he used to ride him out all the time. So he'd never been abroad. He's a lad from... Uh, he was from Barnsley. Good old Tom was from Barnsley. He was for Godolphin now. And um, anyway, I said to Tom, do you want to go to Dubai? So like it was just a big thing for him. Um, so they they organised the plane, the flight, everything. We got to Stansted, had to be there a certain time. and But the horse would go, but we wouldn't go with him. So um, anyway, we got the horse taken up there and... I flew over with Tom two days before the horse arrived because you'd be there for when the horses landed, you know? So because I'd never been there before and Tom hadn't, he was only a young lad, he was only 18 or 19, but he was going to have to stay there for three months with the horse. So I said, we'd fly over and we'd have a look around and try and learn about the gallops, et cetera, over there and what we have to do. Yeah. But as I said, the, the, um, the flying bit was all, you know, was all well looked after. So we, we managed, we managed to get that sorted anyway. That's great. It's really interesting. I'd say that was some culture shock for Tom, having not been abroad before suddenly landing in Dubai. Unbelievable, yeah. yeah. <laughs> with, his, with his little white shorts on him, bless him. <laughs> He's a good kid, yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Okay, so he gets to Maidan, and across January, February and March of that year, he, run, he runs five times there. 
over varying trips of a mile, six furlongs and seven furlongs. And I'm going to mute myself now and ask you to talk me through those those five runs. Yeah. Okay. Well, his first run, he uh, he came, we ran off the plane and Ted Durkin, it was one of his last meetings that he was riding over there. And because I'd known Ted, I said to him, uh, I said, look, you know, he knew the track there. He'd been champion jockey for years. So I said, look, do me a favor. I said, um, would you ride this lad? And he said, I'd love to. And it was over a mile. And now, as I said before, the way we used to ride him was to make the running. So I just said to him, jump out and try and make the running. And Ted sort of looked at me as if I was mad and went, Brendan, you don't realize the pace they'll go here. And I went, no, nah, I'd be fine. He'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Well, he jumped out of the gate and he was sort of nearly last away. And we were drawn one, which was for Maidan is a, is a very, thank God, is a, is a great draw, you know. But he was flat to the balls down the inside. And when he turned in, I'm thinking this is going to be embarrassing. And he, he started running through. All the gaps were coming. Next thing, um, Sumion was about a length in front of us. And just as the horse was running, he came across to the rail and cut us off. So Ted had to stand up on him and sit in him for a minute. And then by the time he got out, we were sort of fifth or sixth with about a half for him to go. And he flew and ended up getting beat a short head. And um, I remember being absolutely delighted with the way he ran because the prize money and everything was great. But I was still gutted that he got beat. And Ted said to me, he said, he said we were so unlucky there. He said it was unreal, you know. So at least we knew that we had a horse that, you know, we weren't mad sending him over there, and we were hoping, we were hoping he could do something. But of course, the handicapper put you up then, and Ken couldn't come over for that meeting for some reason. He'd a meet, he'd a meeting in um, in England, so he he said to me, he said, right, he said, when would you run him again? So I saw another race there. I think it was two or three weeks later, and I said to him, uh, I said, look, there's a mile race there. I said, and I think we'll go for that. And then when I was talking to people, they were saying that that race is going to be so many entries and we probably wouldn't get in it. So I rang Ken and I said, look, Ken, I said, I don't think the lad, this, this lad's going to get in the mile race. And he said, well, you enter a minute anyway. He said, but find something else for me. He said, because I got the hotel booked for myself and Carolyn. We got our flights booked and the whole lot, he says, and we want a runner. So the only other race that was there was the six furlong race. And... I said to Ken, I said, look, there's only a six furlong race. I said, he probably, I don't care. I don't care. If he doesn't get in the mile, he runs in it. So anyway, long story, he didn't get in the mile and he got in the six furlong. And I'm thinking this is going to get lapped because they, so, they go so quick there. And anyway, Ted had come back to England and wasn't riding again. So I got Richie Mullen to ride him. So Richie came and rode him out for me about three days before. And um, I'd, I'd, I'd known Richie from England a bit, but, you know, he's, look, he's won the best over there. And he just said to me, BP, he said, he said, this won't lay up with them going to the start. And I went, mm, I think you're right. And anyway, just as I was declaring them, I decided to put a pair of blinkers on him. And I didn't tell Ken because Ken didn't really like blinkers either. So I thought, oh, something's got to sharpen him up. So I put a pair of blinkers on him. Anyway, Ken came over and he just went, this lad's got blinkers on. I said, well, I said, I said, we got to try and go with them at some stage of the race. I said, so, I, and I just said to him, I said, oh, they've really sharpened them up at home, which, which basically they hadn't made any difference to him, you know? So, <laughs> so I was just sort of living in hope 
And um, all I said to Richie was, do me a favor, just keep pushing him, you know. So, so Richie rode him, he jumped out the stalls, and I think within a furlong and a half, he was sort of near the back and he was pushing the head off. And I'm stood there with Tom, sort of about 100 yards before the line um, by the railing. And I sort of saw him running on. There's a, I mean, the screen in Maidan is like, it's, it's like about a half a furlong long. And we're watching this and we're just seeing him running on. And I'm thinking, if he gets in the first six, he gets some prize money. And you'd have to be delighted with that. So he starts running on. He's sort of furlong and a half out. He's seventh. Then he goes into sixth, then fifth. Then Richie's given him two cracks. Well, he absolutely took off and he came past us. And I'm thinking, well, he's going to be second. And next thing I looked up at the screen and he's got his head in front and he's won. And it took Richie about about two furlongs to pull him up after that. You know, he just took off at him. So Tom and I were jumping up and down like two lunatics. And um, anyway, I turned around and to run back up the hill, sort of towards the, um, to, to go back out and get him. And as I turned around, I headbutted this guy in his, in his, um, in the long dress. <laughs> and it was only Saeed bin Sarur who was probably thinking this, this traveling head lad from this Brendan Powell's must be a lunatic. Isn't it? So I just sort of looked at him and went, I'm really sorry, sir. And he goes, no problem. Well done, sir. So anyway, that was, um, so that was his first win. And it was just, it was just a hell of a night. And I remember Rishi interviewed me on the television after. And his first question was, he said, great win for the horse. He said, but, the idea of running them in two-mile hurdle race in heavy ground, he said, was that a sort of tactic coming over to Dubai? And I just went, I said, basically, I don't know what trip he wants, what ground he was. I said, he just keeps running, you know. So, um, But it's amazing. And I, then there was, a, there was a golf day about two days later, and I met Mike DeCock for the first time. I was introduced to him. So he's chatting away, and he went, oh, yeah. He said, you, you trained that grey horse that beat us the other night. And I went, yeah. And he said, what's his story? And I was, and then I said to him about, I said, oh, I said, it's amazing. I said, I ran him in two hurdle races in England. And he went, what do you mean hurdle? I said, well, two jumps races. And he turned around to his owner and he just went, you know, that thing that beers in the sprint the other day, that's been jumping sticks in England before it has come over. He goes, so, <laughs> so yeah, I just said to mm -hmm. myself, I said, if you ever want any horses sweetened up, I said, send them over to me. <laughs> Anyway, that was uh, so. That was the story of his first win there. Anyway, you know, it's so lucky, isn't it? It's amazing the fact that he. The, the only reason he ended up in that race is because he didn't get into the mile, and then yeah, you're not, not telling the owner about the blinkers. It's just amazing, isn't it? Absolutely, and of course, you know, Ken and Carla were delighted, and, and you know, the prize money there was just fantastic. You know what I mean? And a big trophy, and of course, Ken and Carla were flying back the next day, and then there's a there's like a sports club at the end of the the Maidan Hotel, and. Everybody goes there afterwards, but it's like 11 o'clock at night you get there because racing is up to, I think we were in the, something like the 10 o'clock race. And um, of course we got there and Ken brought the trophy and there's loads of English and Irish lads there. So Ken was buying drinks for everybody. And, but it was just, it was just a great night. And look, it's, it's um, the publicity we got out of it was fantastic. You know? Yeah, I can imagine. You, you mentioned the prize money there. It was 42 grand that night and then yeah there was two weeks later there was a bigger pot to be won i'm just trying to think that was that was back over a mile again wasn't it that second win in dubai richie mullen rode him again and that was over seven furlongs and he won by seven. two and a half lengths that day yeah that's right yeah yeah so that's right we've gone back and won again and the handicapper had put him up again um and yeah same thing again he just you know he sort of 
we found as well that he didn't have to make the running anymore and you just go where you're comfortable on him. And but when he turned into the straight, there's you know, it's a big long straight in, in Maidan. And um, so as I said, that was a step back up to seven again, yeah. And um, and he won nicely again, and Ken and Caroline were there for the for that night as well, you know. So that is funny because at that stage, then people kept saying to me, and there was a few headlines in papers and that, and especially in Dubai, and they were going, um, the horse of the carnival, you know, this sort of. Yeah, this unknown horse, an unknown person bringing this thing over, rate 103, and then, you know, he's, he's gone and won two because, yeah, it's very, it, yeah, I, I know um, you, you do get a few English winners there, but you don't get many. And I think that year there was only about, I think Tony Carroll might have been the only one that had a, a winner again that season over there, you know, at the okay. carnival meeting. And David Simcock had one, sorry, as well. But then they started saying to me that, uh, oh, it's a shame you haven't got him in on World Cup night. And I went, um, I, which I didn't know anything about. Just total ignorant, wasn't it? But I just didn't know. And I didn't realise that you had to nominate by the end of January to go. To, to You could enter in one of the World Cup races, or World Cup night. Um, and the entry the entry was free. But after that, you had to pay a supplement. Of course, I, didn't, I hadn't put them in. And I think to run on the grass over a mile on World Cup night. And they kept saying to me, we'd, we'd like to invite you to, to run, you know, because going there, we never thought he'd be good enough to run it anyway. So he'd won his two. And uh, I think the entry fee was something like 12 or 14 grand to run. And I just said to Ken, even though he's won your good prize money, it's too much. So we, we ended up actually entering him in, in the dirt race on World Cup night instead, you know. Mm. Um, Prior to that, he had, a, he had a second in a group too. Yeah, he did. Um, he was yeah. beaten by one of Godolphins. That's right. Safety check, yeah. Safety check, yeah. A decent horse. With, I think William Buick rode him, didn't he? That's right. William, yeah, William rode him. And there again, you know, it was, I'd, I'd, I'd hardly had ever had a runner in a group race. And again, he ran a cracker staying on. And I just felt that night that another few strides we'd have got there. Um, you know, and, and, and safety catch, I think he was, he was unbeaten. He was unbeaten for a while over there. You know what I mean? He was a very good horse in the day, yeah. 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 And how was that run? And he, like you said, he ran on dirt then after that in the Godolphin Mile. How, what, what, was, what was that experience like? What was the experience of World Cup night in general like? I mean, that was unreal. And there was something like 100,000 people there. And I mean, the, the organization for it is, is just like with badges for everywhere. And, and even though you had a runner, you were walking around about 10 badges hanging out of you. And you could only go near the parade ring for one race. And that was your own race. Um, you couldn't go up any of the other floors in the buildings to to see anybody else. You were literally in the owners and trainers, and that was it. Um, luckily enough, the guy who was looking after the gate of the parade ring for World Cup night itself, when the World Cup came came round, I was stood by the paddock watching all the good horses go. You know, you're just watching these horses from America, and they look like bulls. You know, these massive big things. So he actually. The paddock was nearly full and he saw me and he just called me forward and he said, you want to go into the parade ring? And I just went, well, not really. I said, and he said, yeah, you go in there. So I walked into the middle of the parade ring just to see these horses walking around. But like, it was just, it was, it was just the amount of people that were there, the, the way they looked after the owners, you know, there was tables of 10. So each owner was allowed five people there. And I mean, the tables, apparently it was something like two grand a head for the night if they had to pay for it. 
and they were given that free. So there was there was two restaurants there full of owners and traders, you know, and just all our friends and yeah, just just hell of a night. And just to be part of it was great. And um, I trained him because we had three weeks between. I don't know, I think it was about four and a half weeks between his last run and World Cup night. And because I knew he was going to run him in the dirt, I started training him in the dirt. And he actually trained very well in it. And he, and, he, and he enjoyed it. And that was the first year that they'd taken the Tapita track off it and put the dirt down. So I just thought every race that was run that year, all the winners were coming from the front. So I just thought, look, we've got to have a bit of gate speed, especially for the dirt. Um, you've got to be handy in the race. And that's the way it looked at it, and everybody was riding the same. Um, and Adam Kirby was over, so and uh, Richie Mullen couldn't ride him. So Adam just Adam had ridden him for me in England. I think he was the third in Hungerford Stakes for me on him, yeah. And um, so Adam came over and rode him. Adam hadn't been riding there all winter either, so it was his first ride on the dirt there that year. and. He, I just said to him, look, looking, looking at the way races are run, you've got to be very handy. And he jumped him out the gate and I jumped him out the gates a couple of times in between just to get him, get him out pretty quick. And he was sharp out and Adam got hold of him, squeezed him up there and him and Frankie jumped off and they sat up sides in front. And to be truthful with you, they went too quick. And I know that when people are analysing, because everything's done on the clock over there, and when they were analysing the race after, I mean, they did the first two furlongs in something like 21 point something, you know. So, yeah, so he was going to kill them. And look, a fur, just over a furlong out, he was still there with a chance. And then he, he just faded in the last 150 yards, you know. So, um, but he'd had enough and, and, and we'd had a great experience. That was the, that was the thing, you know. Yeah, great experience. I mean, those five runs, he's, he's got two wins and two seconds. And he's bringing back 155 grand in prize money over three months, which is just, I mean, it'll take you a long time in the UK to earn that. Yeah. And it's, it's like, it's like Ken said himself afterwards that, you know, we didn't quite win that much in Dubai, but you know, in his whole career, he won twice as much as we would have got for him if he'd have gone to Hong Kong. But it was just the experience that Ken, myself and everybody had as well, you know, and, um, yeah, look, we, we got him out there for two more seasons as well. But he just, you know, I suppose he came back from Dubai rate about 111. And so he found things hard, you know, and he was placed a few times. And then I did manage to find a conditions race at Hamilton for him, which was just before he went to Dubai the following year, which Graham Lee rode him, actually. And he just missed the track record. Um, so he he. Look, we were delighted with him and we got back there again. He was placed a few times. Yeah, you know, again, he picked up prize money, but look, he, you know, he, he, he never was the same horse. He had a couple of injuries. Um, he had a couple of wind operations. Um, he sort of had a niggly, niggly sesamoid. So we were always having to treat those at the same time, you know? Yeah, yeah. He didn't quite match that Maidan form in his next two times out there. There's just no. one or two other days I'd like to chat to you about. He... When his first run back from Dubai actually that year was in the, the Hunt Cup at Royal Ascot. He runs very well and he, it was actually a quick enough turnaround between his last run in Maidan and Royal Ascot. So he, he, he seemed to take his travel and the exertions pretty well. The one thing about him, he never, I mean, they always said to the, the, the guys, the, the grooms that were taking him over there just said that he'd fall asleep on the plane, you know. Um, 
Who'd I have? You had French jockey riding, didn't I? Um, I'm seeing Fran Berry at Ascot the second oh, oh, sorry, Fran rode him there. Yeah, no, Pellier rode him another year there. Sorry. Um, That's right, Pellier rode him. The, it was the previous year. Of sorry, okay, yeah. Yeah, Fran rode him. And no, look, he'd come back and he, he ran well a few times. He had a lot of weight that day. Did, yeah. I, I said, didn't Gosden win that year with something? GM Hopkins. GM right? Hopkins. A horse who I tried to buy about three years later then, and he's still in Dubai. I think he's still running now. He's still about 12 years of age. <laughs> and I, I, that's what I remember. There was this plot horse, and we, we, we had a lot of weight that day, and I think Gosden hung on to him and never ran him, did he? And they brought him out with Frankie on him first time out in the Hunk Cup. Yeah, well, yeah, I'll tell you one thing. You're right that he's still out in Maidan. He ran in December there. Yeah, <laughs> He did. I know because he went to the sales. Because when I when I bought another horse to go there, um, the Broiner horse, and I saw GM Hopkins there and at the sale, I tried to buy him, but he made too much money for me. So, um, because I thought he'd be a right horse for Dubai. Proved right. You proved right. Um, soon after that, he had a run in Ireland uh, at the Curra in the Group Three Minstrel Stakes. He's fourth behind some good horses: Home of the Brave, Gordon Lord Byron, and Sover- Sovereign Debt. How was yeah. that experience for you, bringing them, bringing them to a group race in the Curra and running well? It's great to come home and do it. And um, I'd had a runner in that race about, I'd say, about 10 years before. Liam Keneary rode him for me. And I'll never forget something off. We, we had 9-7 that day with that horse. And he hit the front and something came off not, uh, with about 7 stone 12 in his back with a, a WJ Lee claiming 7 and came and beat us a short head. So here we are going back about another 10 or 12 years with this lad. And it, look, he ran a blinder. Um, wasn't that the year of home the brave? He got disqualified in the end. So we that's managed right. to get third. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. yeah, that's right. And um, it was funny because I remember I used to love coming over. I, I used to bring a couple of punches town every year. And I had a winner there in 2003. I was actually showing Ruby. Um, the picture of it the other day, he rode for me, won a novice hurdle at the Punchstown Festival. But I used to love coming over here with my mum and dad, rest them. They, we actually, my dad used to run a stud farm next door to Punchstown. So we were, it was basically his home for me. Nace is, Nace is my hometown, you know. And um, so I used to go, I brought, I brought um, Dark Emerald over. I literally put him in a horse box on my own, drove it down to Wales, got on the boat, came across. And kept him at Eddie Hartys. Eddie's a good friend of mine, you know. So I kept him there. And Ken and Carlin flew again, brought a few friends and looked there again. We had a great day. Um, I think that was the year that Pat Smullen wrestling won the Oaks for Hugo Palmer. Covert love. That's it, yeah. Mm. Yeah. And um, but no, look, he ran a he ran a cracker that day at, at the, the Curra as well. And as I said, we got third in the end. So um, I look at another bit of experience, you know. Yeah, fantastic. Um, so then, like you said, he, well, he he ran. He was second to Cody Bear, and then he was beaten a short head by Richard Pankhurst. He's running good races before he gets that win at Hamilton again. Yeah, yeah. The the, the run the run by when he just got beat by Cody Bear at Salisbury. Yeah, I ran him in that a couple of times actually, but he ran a cracker that day as well, and um, he actually stayed on really well. And I felt maybe if he'd maybe if he'd have um, I'll tell you what, actually, sorry, Mark, just before the Salisbury race, I had his wind done again. So that was his first run back after having a, his, um, his because I had his, I had to have his wind done two or three times. It just started to go on him, you know? And that's that's what was holding him back from being the horse that he was. 
Um, so I just said that day, we just go out and give him a run and see. And he was a big price and he ran on. And I felt that if he'd, if he hadn't had the wind problem and if we weren't riding him to run a good race, he probably could have beaten Cody Ray that day. Yeah. So, um, no, he, no it, was, it was a good run for him, you know. Yeah, I, re- I realise you're, you're not a vet, but I'd, I'd love if you could tell us a little bit more about the, the wind up stuff. Like what, what, make, what tells you he needs the wind up or is it something the jockey says he's making a noise or how does, that, how does it work? Yeah, the jockeys will say it sometimes, but a lot of times horses don't have to make a noise to have a wind problem. And, but there has to be something to stop a horse in a race. And usually you see horses in a race and they put their head in the air and people say, oh, he's, very, he's ungenuine. And to be truthful, it's not that. There's there's always a reason for it. And I remember sending him, having an over overground scope put on him after a couple of disappointing runs. And um, anyway, the vet said, "Yeah, look, his soft palate is 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 um, he's displacing his palate." So I only had a quarter eyes. He never had a, a tie forward or a tie back or a hob day. Basically, it was just quarter eyes. So you'd only miss. You'd only miss five or six days of cauterization. Okay. So you're stable able to keep them ticking over, you know? Yeah. You, you, you sometimes hear people say it's their second run after wind up where they, they really feel the benefit when the horse realizes, oh, I can That he's not going to make a noise. Yeah. Yeah. It just depends. You know, if horses are some trainers, and I've been known to myself, but some trainers will run a horse sort of three or four times making a noise. You put a tongue strap on, you put a cross nose band on it. But if they're going to make a noise, it's going to stop them one way or the other. You know what I mean? So, look, the sooner you can get it done, the better. And they can come back sometimes and, and, and run well first time out, you know. Brilliant. Thank you for that. Thank you for that education. So you mentioned he did, he had two more seasons as a six and seven year old, but he is he doesn't seem to hit. He's, he's, he's past his best form anyway. So was that just the yeah. case? Like, how did you come to the decision to retire him, basically? Um. But basically, I just he, he ran a Windsor one day with Fran Berry on, and he ran terrible. I mean, it was it was almost embarrassing the way he ran. Um, but he had run well the time before at Salisbury again, where he ran on to be fourth, not beaten far. And Fran sort of thought, "Oh yeah, I think I think he's coming back." And then we took him to Windsor, and I'll be honest, with you, I didn't want to run, and the ground had gone very heavy there, and. Um, Ken was there and Ken said, no, I want him to run. So he ran and he just ran shocking. And when he came back then, his, um, you know, his, his, his suspensory started to flare up a little bit. And that. so I just, you know, I remember ringing Ken one day and saying, look, you know, he's had a couple of wind operations. He's got suspensory. He's going to be in six or eight months off. And I just, I, I just have hated to say, I've seen so many horses, go from winning group races. You see a lot of these horses in the flat and what have you, and then they're running claimers and sellers and things. And I just, look, I'd, after what he did for us, he didn't deserve that, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. where where did he go then when he was retired? Well, I was hoping to have him. and um, But Ken met a, um, he, he knew of a girl called Hannah Bishop, and she is racing manager to, um, uh, to a lady who's got horses with, um, uh, Alan King and they've got a lovely place down sort of near Windsor Way so he's down there he's been there now for about three years look it would be one of the best homes any horse could ever have it's like horse heaven and they've got that good chase at Anacotti and you know horses like that mm-hmm. so he's down there with them and he does a bit of um, 
you know, the racehorse to ride in, not at the moment, but look, he's got, he's got a hell of a life, you know. Yeah, so have, so you still get the odd update on how, on, on how he's I doing? I did a few pictures of him and he's white. He's snow white now, he is. Absolutely snow white. Brilliant. Uh, you must, you must uh, send me one of those photos if you, if you can dig one out for me. I love that. I will, I will get you one, yeah. I'll send them to you. But he's, uh, he's just... Uh, and he, he's, a, he's a great horse. He, he's just got a great temperament for that sort of stuff, you know. And if they want to jump him... Because, you know, he's, even now, he's still not an old horse, you know. No, not at all. Be a lot of sprinters will be still born at his age, you know. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so I just have a couple of more questions for you. We've mentioned a few jockeys there. To name a few, Fran Berry, Kieran Fallon, Richard Hughes, Seb Sanders, Jamie Spencer, your own son, Brendan Powell, James Doyle, Olivia Pellier, Adam Kirby, Richard Kingsgut, Richard Mullen, James Doyle, Graham Lee. A lot of great yeah. jockeys in there. Um, was there any you felt got on with them particularly well or didn't get on with them particularly well? Um, I'm not sure William Buick liked him when he rode him. And uh, I don't know, things didn't happen. Uh, and James Doyle, well, like, they only rode him once, so that was it. But um, I mean, Richie loved the horse, Richie Mullen, and he yeah, loved he did it. All right, <laughs> he got the few quid off. Yeah, he did. But he loved the horse, and he, um, I said, look, he he won two of the biggest ones on him. So you'd say, yeah, I suppose Richie did. Um, and Richard Richard King's coat. I mean, I know, I know, it's, it's a shame because. Actually, going back to Dubai, I just remember now that Kieran had won in him at uh, Kieran had come back after his band that time. He rode a double for Ken at um, Leicester, and then he came out the following season, then rode Dark Emerald, a winner for us. And he rode him a couple of times in between. But when Kieran sort of was at the end of his career and he, he was hardly getting a ride, he was out in Dubai on holidays, and he actually rode him for me over there. And he finished second on him in Dubai. So uh, I'd say Kieran got a Kieran liked the horse too, and he rode quite a few winners for Ken. You know, Ken another horse called Uncle Dermot won a few and Pull Your Finger Out. They were good old horses, won a lot of races for him. But I'd say I'd say Richie Mullen probably, and I Richard Richard Kingco rode him twice, and he won on him, and he he went smooth for Richard. But look, he was an easy enough horse to ride, and as I said, Seb won a couple on him. Um, I'd love to have got Seb out to Dubai to ride him because he'd been winning on him. But um, Ken, being a Scotsman, was too tight to pay for his flights. So <laughs> I felt a bit bad about it at the time. But um, anyway, Ken, yeah, yeah Ken, Ken is a Scotsman. He'd rather earn the money than give it out, you know what I mean? So <laughs> even though he's a very generous man. But no, you know, hey, Richie got on him over there and he rode him instead, you know. Yeah. Very good, very good. Yeah. Brendan, this horse ran 50 times. He won eight times. He was second 11 times, third six times, and he amassed 309 grand in prize money. Um, mm -hmm. Took you to Maidan, put you on the international stage. So what, how, how, what would you say he did for, your, for you in your career when he came along? He did, because when I came back from the first year in Dubai, I started training more flat horses. And I, I, I used to feel that if an owner had two horses at, before that and one was a jumper and one was a flat horse, they'd send me the jumper. They'd send the flat horse to somebody else. And then when Maidan had happened, it went the other way around. So I had more flat horses than I did jumpers. Um, hey, look, it's, it's, as I said, I've packed up all that now and I'm just working for Joseph. But it's, I think we had 645 winners in total um, over the 19 years with, no expensive horses or big yards and but I suppose he on the flat he was by far the flag bearer mm. and um, 
you know, that that experience of going to Dubai, you just you just couldn't beat it. And uh, you know, I know so many trainers that have taken hosts over there. They take three or four every year, and they don't win anything. But you know, to win two and be second in a couple of group races, and as I said, the following year, then I managed to take two horses there and then the following year I took three horses there and we we picked up a lot of prize money with a, a horse I ended up selling them to um, Richard O'Brien Beach Bar okay, um, yeah. yeah I bought him I bought him for 20 grand at the sales and I took him straight to he was a complete lunatic of a horse an absolute lunatic he would bolt everywhere and everybody said you'd never train him in Maidan we got there and I think after we gave 20 grand for him and then his First four runs, they picked up 48 grand for us that year, a couple of months later, you know. So, um, and then and then we took him the next year and he had to run the dirt all the time because he couldn't get in the grass races, but he hated the dirt. So, um, and then I saw him to Richard and Richard did great and he won three decent handicaps with him, you know. So, um, but no, look, he got me back there. I think I went four years in a row and I just loved it. And... Uh, I keep pushing Joseph to try and send a lot of horses to Dubai so I could go there for three months, but <laughs> hasn't worked yet. <laughs> Maybe next year. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, I've really enjoyed it, Brendan. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. And you Good on yourself. Thanks a million, Brendan. I really appreciate your time. Thank you very if much. I find it, if I find those pictures of them, I'll send them over to you. Ah, please do. I'd love that. All right. We'll catch up with you soon. Take care, Brendan. Mind yourself. Yeah, thank you. Okay, there we have it. I hope you enjoyed that. Thank you so much to Brendan for giving me his time. And with him being the gentleman that he is, he did indeed send on a couple of recent photos of Dark Emerald, which I'll post on my Twitter on the day of this episode's release. There's a link to my profile in the show notes, so give us a follow. And you'll also hear some other updates on there about this show. Uh, Great also to hear Brendan mention the success of Richard O'Brien with Beach Bar. Richard has listened to this show in the past and tweeted about it, which is greatly appreciated. So if you'd like to be more like Richard O'Brien and give us a shout on social media, please do. I'd be very grateful. Any spreading the good word about the pod really does go a long way. Similarly, if you're listening on the Apple Podcast app, it would be great if you could leave me a review on there. If you could be so kind, promise it won't take you long. As ever, a huge thanks to the show sponsors, Horse Racing Ireland. Like I say, without them, this series just wouldn't be happening. So please do go and check out the links in the show notes to follow their social media channels. The next episode of the show and final episode in this second season will be released on October 27th. I'm hoping to end the season in style. So please do remember to tune in then. Take care and we'll talk to you soon.